A few weeks ago, my friend Jeff Bandman texted me a question. And his question was about trauma, trauma, PTSD, and the nature of those kinds of injuries. And he was wondering if we could think about trauma or PTSD as a, a love wound, in his words, versus an event. So that something happens with trauma that impairs our capacity to love. So um, like all good podcasters, I said, oh, this sounds like a really interesting conversation. Why don't we jump on a podcast and record our conversation about it? And so that's what this week's episode is. And to give you a little context, Jeff is someone who has a lot of experience with traumatic things. He's been a firefighter, a soldier, and for many years was a CIA agent working all around the world. So conversations with Jeff about trauma are particularly interesting. He's seen a lot of people in high-intensity situations, some of whom have done well and some who have not. Jeff is pulling together his expertise and experience. He now runs an organization called the Operational Mindset Foundation, in which he tries to use all that he's learned, as well as draw on the experience and expertise from others to provide mental, physical, and emotional support for people who choose to put themselves in harm's way. So our conversation about the nature of trauma is obviously really close to the heart of Jeff's work, um, but is also really close to the heart of my work. In my conversations with entrepreneurs, with leaders, with business owners, many of us have our own stories of terrible experiences and significant losses. And those experiences shape the ways that we lead and, of course, the ways that we show up in our personal and private relationships. I'm so grateful for the work that Jeff is doing, and I hope that you will find some value and core takeaways from our conversation today. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So Jeff Bandman of jeffbandman.com, chief architect of Comp Chaos, <laughs> chaos distiller, chaos combatter. Royal pain in the ass to everyone around me. <laughs> well, Jeff... It's always amazing to talk with you, and I think I, I just really value the ways that you see the world, given the tremendous amount of different kinds of experiences that you've had, whether it's being in the military or serving as a firefighter, and then now, of course, working with really smart, motivated people to find more calm in their lives. You and I have some similar jobs. In fact, my email signature is bringing calm to chaos. <laughs> Beautiful. That's it. It's it. It doesn't matter if it's internal or external or shared or whatever. It's chaos is scalable. Yeah. But, you know, we're chatting today because of a text you sent me a little while back. And in the text, you asked this question about trauma and the nature of trauma. I appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with you about trauma because of our varied experiences and the way that I think we look at the topic from different angles. But the question that you posed is this question of is, is trauma an injury of love or a love wound? 
as opposed to an event or the ways that we've kind of thought about, hey, this is a traumatic event and that causes damage and that hurts a person and develops PTSD or personality problems or whatever consequences we're talking about. But really reframing it not as an event-based experience, but as something that wounds our capacity for love. So how'd you get to that question? Like, (laughs) where'd that come from? Um, I'm not sure sure where that came from, but you know, it's, I think it's been, so here's what I've been looking at. And I love that I get to, I have a community of people like you that I get to send these obscure thoughts to, right? And you don't think I'm totally blacked out of my mind and crazy. Not that I'll say on the air. Not, well, you, we can say that because I kind of am in some ways at times. You know, I think, Sherry, here's where I've been challenged like over this last year. I was really looking at my own space and time and my own ability to regulate in all areas of life. You know, the one thing I learned was I was great in the emergency <laughs> overseas. You put me in the worst condition imaginable, no problem, right? Jeff drops in, I'm good to go. But yet in other areas, in business, in leadership, in life, in relationship, in family, just a show, right? Totally dysregulated, totally not able to settle into what was actually happening. And then, of course, all the work I've been doing around, you know, trauma from all angles, trauma from, you know, everything I've done from the fire service, military, time overseas, to childhood trauma, to all these aspects. And, you know, I think what I came to this point was like, wow, okay, you know, what I'm missing in some of these areas is capacity. And really, then I'm missing the capacity to meet the situation with love. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, you have tremendous capacity to handle chaotic, emergency, super stressful environments, high intensity, you're the guy. And that's a deep capacity. But when you think about these other areas of life where you've experienced more challenge, whether it's in your relationship with your wife or your kids or these other parts of life, it requires a different capacity and one in which you found yourself to be not as prepared. (laughs) that's a kind way of saying it yeah and so you know as I was kind of doing some work and trying to take a look at some things I began to kind of look down and see where where that capacity wasn't right where that tank wasn't and where I couldn't meet situations you know one of our mutual friends told me one day he said man I've really started to ask myself when I'm feeling anxious or feeling stressed or not knowing where to go especially in relationship what would love have me do? And that was a very curious question, right? And then I started like, okay, how do I work the mental model? And you know me, I'm a big physiology, biology, you know, internal systems guy. How does that question then reframe or help me settle my central nervous system? And does it give me the capacity I need to communicate the way I need to communicate or act the way I need to act or see things through the lens that would really help me navigate what's going on, you know, and the the chaos around me, right? The the things going on. And so that's where I was just like sitting through this and I'm like, I don't know, is this, is trauma, right? Because we've talked about this, you and I've talked about this, right? It's not trauma Olympic stuff. It's not some comparison. It doesn't always have to be big, hairy and scary, but is, is that over time, does trauma begin to shrink my capacity or wound my my ability to meet things with love? And so, yeah, so you're the person I send that question to. 
because you, you're the person that I feel like if anybody had the answer to it, you would be it in a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, love being on the hook to answer Damn. really big existential questions about the meaning of life and humans and all the things. But I love the question so much because I do think that it does begin to reframe what we think is happening with trauma. Historically, behaviorally, we understood trauma as something which overwhelms a physiological system such that the system can't cope anymore. And that's kind of true, but the place that we see it break down is in stories like yours, where you are exposed over and over to traumatic or quote unquote traumatic things, these experiences with high intensity in which there's entirely possible that someone will get badly hurt or die. That's a loose definition of trauma, but you can do it over and over and it doesn't, it doesn't bother you inherently. The events don't bother you. So your system is clearly not overwhelmed in a traumatic environment. So that's not the thing that's breaking. So I think as we've grown in our understanding of trauma and hey, frankly, like PTSD has only been a conversation in the formal literature. It's only been a diagnostic category for the last, you know, since the seventies, the last 40 years. Like it's kind of a, our understanding of what's happening is still very much emerging, but what trauma really disrupts when it creates problems. And that's, I think important, right? Some people experience a lot of traumatic events or events that most people would define as traumatic but they don't, they don't cause damage. They don't seem to cause damage. They don't impair them. And the really damaging experiences that are most likely to cause long-term psychological challenge are interpersonal in nature. It's where our sense of belonging, love, trust, safety is, is ruptured or gets disrupted. And those are the things that stay with us for a long period of time. Those are the things that are most likely to cause PTSD or, you know, all kinds of biological and mental health kinds of challenges. Yeah, you know, because it's been, because we have this argument, right? I mean, when I hang out with, with my crew of people, right, that if a lot of them have been, you know, a combat for 20 years and, you know, we'll say things like much easier to be there than home, right? Much easier to be in combat or running into a burning building or doing that stuff than be at home. You know, and all these questions that emerge have caused me to look back and even like pre 9-11 days, I mean, I hid, excuse me, hung out, <laughs> lived at the firehouse because it was easier to be there in a way, right? And so I had to look back to say, okay, was it the events of my life that have caused me to be more anxious, more unsettled, more uh, disconnected? I've almost had to start to build buckets, if you will, right? Trauma experienced in service, we'll call it that. So 16 forward, fire service, military, and then a decade around the world. What impact did that have on me and my ability to function as a human, as a husband, as a father, as a business guy, as whatever, right? What did that have? But then also what I think I've found are the anchoring traumas from childhood. I mean, I I have really come to terms that, see, yeah, I'm the master of chaos because it's been chaos for me since birth. You know, I've lived in highly chaotic, highly stressful, high anxiety environments since I was born. 
So of course I choose a path that reads that right. Makes sense, right? I'm good here. I'm good in these moments. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, and I joke now, it's like I can either master chaos or I can create it, right? One or the other. <laughs> but there will be chaos but wherever there will be you chaos, are. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not so much anymore. But yes, that was true for a long time. So yeah. So when I looked at it, really when I was touching back to some of the deeper rooted ways I grew up and the longing for love or the longing for attention or those those things that were traumatic at that time, at that age, for me, where they have really played out in the deeper sense of connection as an adult, right? In the deeper sense of human connection. That's why kind of in looking back, it was like, okay, no, going to combat, running into burning buildings, cutting people out of cars, doing that stuff, that didn't wound my ability to care and love for someone. What did then? And so it was this interesting kind of look at like, oh, because, you know, it is common these days. I mean, that's one of the things we deal with at the foundation. It's very common to like place the blame on of PTSD or trauma from experience on behavior today. And that's why I was like, wait a minute, we're, we're dealing with something a little bit deeper here. And, you know, in, in our younger years where love, where we're taught how to love, how to show love, how to receive love, how to connect, how to be intimate with another human being, just clearly humanly connected, like the the patterns that emerged there. That's why I sent you that question. I was like, wow, this is really, this is far greater than this. This is a deeper wound. And that's why I said, you know, is this a wound of love really in a way, you know, capacity to love? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> right? Like, yes, it is. We We don't give a lot of credit, I think, to how fragile we are as humans, especially in the early years of our lives. And gosh, anybody who's raising children or has raised kids knows that just those first three to five years, you're just trying to like keep them alive and fed and keep yourself from going insane with crying and mashed potatoes flying at your face and stepping on Lego, maybe not Legos at that age, but yeah, just stepping on toys. Like it's just, it is a chaotic time, but it's also this really extraordinarily important time when the basic capacity for trust and connection is established. And, you know, in some ways, Freud was right. Like so much of how we interact with others is set up really early in our lives. And we now have seen that proven over and over through cognitive neuroscience and sort of our newer scientific ability to understand neurological development. It's pretty indisputable that trauma in the beginning of our lives does reshape our orientation towards other people. That doesn't mean we're stuck there forever. It doesn't mean we can, you know, never learn it or never do it, but it's almost like we're we're in remedial love. We're in remedial love relationships. Like we need extra tutoring. We need extra help to, to, to sort of figure out how do I settle? How do I, how do I find a comfort in vulnerability or an ability to let someone else see me when I'm not put together, when I'm not being brave, when I'm not fighting a fire, when I'm not doing anything extraordinary and trust that they'll find value in me. Yeah. I mean, that's been, that's been the hard part, you know? I mean, and I, I, I'm the classic example of that. You know, I, I put a post up whatever, a couple of weeks ago on Facebook, like, what does a guy do when you come out of this space, come out of this time? You know, I clearly admit for the last, I don't know, 
2016, four, four years or so, definitely, since I've definitely left all of the government work and, you know, the business and the government work and all that stuff. It's like, what do I even have to offer the world? Right. And so not only is that an, is it an external thing, it's an internal thing for me. It was. And, and then that definitely shows up in relationship with really anybody. Right. Cause got to look good, got to pretend, got to keep things going. And it's like, no, I'm flat broke. No, I'm struggling here. No, I'm hurting here. No, I'm tired here. And all of that, for me at least, has come from the understanding of where I didn't love myself, where I didn't appreciate who I was, where I didn't honor you know, my life. I even went so far at one point to like try to eliminate my life prior to 2016. And not even really talk about it because it's not, not seeing that it had any value for anybody. And, you know, this has been, this last year has been a huge kick in the ass in a lot of ways, in a lot of magical ways and a lot of difficult ways. And I will say it's been, it's not a blame game either. It's not like I go back and I'm like, oh, mom, dad, you really screwed me up. And da, 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 da. There's been frustration around that, but that's not what it's about for me. It's just about, oh, Yes, that was the condition in which I grew up, which then created some of these things and and really shrunk my capacity for for me particularly, for intimacy, for connection, for for generosity for myself too. You know what I mean? For kind of that self spot. So it's been an interesting challenging road. <laughs> One of the things that I really like about having this understanding of early life trauma and why it's important, again, is not to blame game because I promise that every single human experiences some level of imperfect parenting, no matter how amazing parents we are. So it's not, it's not anybody's fault. (laughs) Some parents certainly miss the buck more than others, but I think I really like Eric Erickson, who's a developmental psychologist who frames each phase of development in terms of a crisis. Like there's a crisis of learning or experiencing that we must encounter and move through. And so, you know, the crises of early life are trust versus mistrust, autonomy versus shame, initiative versus guilt, industry versus inferiority. And um, how many, how many entrepreneurs do I talk to about the word inferiority? How sexy is the term inferiority complex or imposter syndrome? Like, yeah, guys, we're all there because all of us at one time were little, small, super vulnerable creatures who were afraid or who were trying and we failed or we needed something and our parents didn't perfectly meet it. And we We had a little glitch in the matrix, a little problem in our system that says, oh, crap, like my needs aren't going to be met all the time. I can't trust everyone around me all the time to provide. And we're not even talking trauma at this point. Like this is just development. This is just the challenge, the crisis of moving through life and acquiring years and skills and learning how to, you know, brush your teeth and use the bathroom, which are those are tasks that are fraught with opportunities for failure. And if you have a a personality or are in a family that doesn't cope well with you not nailing it every time, then you're, you're, you're carrying some stuff with you. Well, yeah. And I mean, that was, you know, so having, okay. So going back now, 46 and parenting again, right? So D just turned three on Sunday. 
doing this again and having a son this time, right? This is like mirror in my face every day. And I think part of this was like part of where I would start to get frustrated or even angry and totally upset. I had to really kind of, you know, he would just, <laughs> too bad this is on a video because I would get frustrated and he will just look at me and kind of give this smirk like, dad, do you really need to be upset right this minute? Is this necessary? Yeah. Is this really necessary? And, and that part of then this caused this like, wow, I don't have the capacity to meet him where he is right now. Why? And, you know, one of the things I, you know, it's just the list you just read off, right? That, that whole breakdown stuff. One of the things I found and this is to me why kind of central nervous system work is so important in conjunction with everything else. What I could see was as a young boy, you know, I was handed all those things, shame, guilt, love, self-worth, self-confidence, all those. I was handed all those things and I almost imagined them like they were all balloons, like three or four. I'm being handed all this stuff, but I'm being handed it in a windstorm. And so all those things are just blowing around, doing my best to hold on to them. Like, okay, I need this. And okay, I'm trying to learn this. And okay, they're telling me I need this. And all these things are getting so wrapped up together. And those things have been wrapped together for 40 plus years. But that was also the anchor of my central nervous system. So if you pulled on love, you also pulled on shame and guilt and self-confidence. Or if you pulled on, you know what I mean? So I couldn't individually deal with those things, you know, shame in an appropriate way, guilt in an appropriate way, love in an appropriate way. I could not deal with them individually. They were so wrapped together and it was so tied internally to my system. You know, it's kind of like what we do on the range, right? When we're settling in, you go to this high conflict state from feeling very safe and meditative to shooting a gun and a total disruption to the system. And so that's been this year of unwinding those. And I have found that in the, the unwinding of that, I am finding a greater capacity, right? A greater capacity to settle and just see what's in front of me for what's in front of me and not bring my own shit to the party or my own stuff and and pass on this generational trauma, if you will, you know, quote unquote, of limited capacity. Because that's really where, you know, my parents weren't bad. They just didn't have capacity at that time in their life. And I think that that framing or that term is extraordinarily important is that we can stretch into bigger space. <laughs> we can grow our ability to love. We can grow our ability to be patient. We can grow our ability to attend to the five-year-old who's telling us the same story the 85th time. And we aren't ever going to be perfect, but there's the ability to grow and create more space. And I think I I work with so many high intensity entrepreneurs who are so very capable in their businesses. And usually I work with them under the context of some kind of business problem or question, or I'd like to be able to communicate with my employees better, or I'd like to be more confident in my leadership style. or And those are things are really important, but almost always underneath that is an attachment capacity or a love capacity, whether it's self-love or other oriented love, that you're building the the ability to be bigger in your inner spaces, in your inner world, not to do more or broadcast more confidently, but but to be bigger inside. Yeah. I mean, even Morgan said to me the other day, like I went into getting balloons blown up for Dee's birthday. Morgan is your wife. Dee is your boy. Yeah. Yes. 
Declan is, is my son. So I was running in the store to get balloons blown up for him. And, you know, they wanted like a dollar seventy nine a balloon to just fill it with helium, right? And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, that's pushing the budget right this minute. <laughs> like it's tight right this second. <laughs> and the woman behind the counter, she goes, I'm just going to charge you 10 bucks for these. I don't know why I would charge so much. And I looked at her and I just said, you know, I really appreciate that. You have no idea how much that 10 or $11 means right this minute. And I got in the car and I told Morgan and she goes, you know, you're really sexy when you're humble. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I like that. I like the, the freedom to speak to what's so, right? It, that's That comes from capacity. And so, you know, I'll throw a quick question at you because this is what's showing up in my brain, given you're the master here. Where do you think, like in this conversation, grief or grieving the loss of maybe what we could have gotten or should have gotten, right? Whether it was real there or not, how does that play out in our ability to to expand our capacity, to grow our capacity for connection and love and presence, right? I mean, in a really sort of non-poetic medical way, I think about looking at it like an x-ray, you know? I've broken both of my wrists and one of my ankles and a couple fingers. And, you know, every time you go into the doctor and they take an x-ray and they're like, well, there it is right there. Like there's the injury. So in order to tend this injury, we have to stabilize it. We have to keep it still. We have to support it and give it time and protection while it heals. And I think that is in some ways the value of doing some early life kind of work. It's not to go back to mom and dad and be like, hey, you guys were jerks, but it's to say, oh, there's where the crack in my bone is, right? There's where my skeletal system is not fully whole and it needs time, attention and protection while it gets more solid. And that's the value of it, right? You're going to be sad. You're going to be, you know, it's hard to go back and realize that maybe things weren't exactly what they seemed like in their, in your childhood, but it's worthy work so that you don't get stuck and keep limping along with, you know, a fracture in one of your bones that's causing you pain and impairing your ability to play and move and run and do the things you want to do. So I think that's this, that's the medical analogy I would give to that. That's beautiful wisdom right there. Yeah. You got to look at the x-ray. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I think, you know, I had somebody, I don't know, therapist, somebody a long time ago said to me, they said, Jeff, you know, it's, it's not your fault, which I hate, kind of hate that statement in general. Of course, that, that just makes me cringe. <laughs> How out of control you are. <laughs> well, no. You would like it anyway, if I was like, Jeff, it is your fault. Like, it be is in control well, and be do easy. better. Like, you could assume responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the funny thing. She said, she said, you know, it's not your fault but it is your responsibility to deal with the impact of it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, you know what? That That's the complete statement. That's the one that's like, okay, I don't get to shift blame. I don't get to just point fingers and say it's not my fault and go down this road. I have a responsibility as a human to deal with and work through the impacts of whatever was, cre was created that I had no control over at some point in my life. And that's been a very anchoring thought for me as I've worked through all of my stuff along the way as well. But no, it's, uh, I love having conversations with you. It's so much fun. <laughs> well, I think we all have things to heal and we all have the responsibility to tend to our own healing. 
period, whether it's a broken toe or a relationship with a parent or a sibling that was really rough for us. So nobody gets, nobody gets a pass with that stuff. And the harder it is and the more of a gap between what we needed and what we received as children, the greater the space is. And I think all kinds of traumatic experiences then lay on top of our early life experience and serve to compromise our capacity for love even more. So, you know, folks who have a, a sexual experience or a sexual trauma, an unwanted sexual experience in their teens, lay that on top of a tricky relationship with a parent and you're beginning to create a worldview that says, I'm not safe. I have to protect myself from people. Fast forward 25 years later, you're in a marriage, you're raising children, and you're operating out of a sense of, I'm not safe. And that matters. That matters in your capacity to love. Yeah. I, I don't know. I love this conversation because I also feel like there's a somewhat of an argument out there you know, that love is not the answer, right? That a lot of people emerge out and are like, no, we just need to love more. And I would challenge that a little bit to say, maybe we just need more capacity. Well, I, I think we got to be honest about what we're talking about with love. Because I think this is one of the things that I think a lot about is I, I think the word love sounds like flowers and chocolates. And, you know, love for me in my life and for many people is like wiping up people's vomit. It's, it's bleeding when you're giving birth. It's, again, it's in enduring. That's not all it is. But let's not forget that love is gritty and messy and powerful and forceful. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings. So when we, when we say, you know, love is incomplete or, you know, when we minimize love and make it a Hallmark holiday, then sure, like that's not the answer. That's not enough. But love that's power and love that is enduring and in your face and not letting you quit and all of the things that embody what love looks like in action, that's the stuff that will heal us. That's the stuff that will heal and protect our kids from us, you know, from our wounding and the wounding that we carry from our families. Yeah, no, you're spot on. That's I totally agree with you. And that's where that's like, ooh, where's my capacity small right this minute? And that's been giving me the tool to go to work, right? To kind of be like, oh, and look and understand and do the x-ray like you talked about. So yeah, this is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time, Jeff, to talk with me and, and send your question and also just speak so much from your own life and in our conversation. And, and again, I think there are lots of us who are running around who are amazing at running into buildings, whatever, whatever version of that we do in our lives, whether it's running our businesses or showing up great for other people or, or whatever it is. But underneath that is some limit in, in how we can be deep and wide in our ability to love and show up. So I think it's a really helpful conversation as, as a reminder that just because everything looks great and shiny on the cover of Forbes doesn't mean that your, your heart is as deep as you want it to be. Yep, 100%. I know that you are doing a lot of amazing things in the world. You've got the Operational Mindset Foundation, which um, is amazing in terms of helping to prepare for responders and other people who are standing in dangerous places on behalf of others. 
And then of course you're doing some great work, both coaching people and teaching people different models for how to be calm and deep and loving and, and really mastering their own sort of bodies and minds in the context of hard places. So I hope people will check out your work at jeffbandman.com. We'll put that in the show notes and keep an eye on all that you're doing, all you have to offer the world. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.